Hi, and welcome to the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra podcast. I'm Philippe Tristan, and the clip of music you just heard was Pines of Rome by Ottorino Respighi. Today, we're happy to have Thomas Giles, guest saxophone soloist with the BSO, here in the studio to talk about his recent performance of the saxophone concerto by Henry Brandt. And later, we will talk to our principal bass trombone in the orchestra, Jeremy Kempton, who has been a member of the BSO for 20 years. We are here in the studio with Thomas Giles, fabulous saxophone soloist with the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. Thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So first question that I want to ask is, why the saxophone? But before we get there, I would love to hear a little bit about your story. Where are you from? How do you get in music? Sure, yeah. So I actually grew up in a really musical family. My parents, of all things, met playing in a rock band. Um, uh-huh. My dad was like a hardcore hippie, played uh, drums. It was a self-taught drummer. And my mom took piano and flute lessons all the way through high school and played through college. So she was a very different kind of musician, but uh, they ended up playing together, actually. So, yeah, I grew up with my brother and my sister singing, taking voice lessons. Uh, I remember my mom, you know, playing Bach and Beethoven and Brahms. And then uh, I remember my dad having me lug around drum equipment (laughs) from the time I could walk. Um, (laughs) So you've been involved in music since you were a kid. Yeah. Right? Since you were born. And your first instrument was the saxophone. Was the saxophone. Amazing. Totally. Yeah. I was homeschooled, actually. And um, uh, I was actually kind of a late bloomer. I started when I was 12 in seventh grade. Um, and there was kind of a, a, a co-op where um, families would get together and they would have different different classes that the parents would teach. And they had this little band that they started out. And wow. so my mom said, you're going to join. <laughs> and we went to the music core. And uh, she said, pick out an instrument. What do you want to play? And, um, you know, I, I set this up by saying I'm, I'm from a musical family, but I was actually quite ignorant about wind instruments and, <sighs> and band instruments. And I had no idea what any of them sounded like. <laughs> um, you know, I'd heard piano music and I'd heard a lot of rock, rock and roll music, as I said. And so you saw the the instruments in the band room or how did it uh, work? At a music yeah. store. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So I went in and she points at the, the wall. She's like, pick something out. And I picked out what to me from the options I was given most resembled the instrument from the cantina scene of Star Wars. That's amazing. And funny thing, uh, a year later, I wanted to switch to bassoon. So I, I picked up bassoon uh, after that for the same reason. <laughs> uh, wow. And, because uh, of the band in Star Wars? Yeah. Or what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, then I was, I was playing both of those instruments, and um, I had private lessons with saxophone all the way through. But it was never really... Um, I didn't really feel like it was my thing at first. Like I, th- I feel like you know a lot of a lot of people are, you see, child prodigies. You know that get it right away. And I was definitely not that. Mm. <laughs> when does this become a more serious affair? So I, I had a really big transition my sophomore year of high school. I was lucky enough in Colorado to be uh, right next to one of the best band programs in the country. And there was a fabulous saxophone teacher in the area who was a retired Air Force band member, saxophone player, a doubler, um, and primarily a classical player. I started taking lessons with him when I entered high school. I started going to this local high school for band classes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would go there, you know, the first half of my day and then do my academics at home. And 
just studying with him really opened opened my eyes to a lot of different things. You know, he had me listening to all kinds of different jazz recordings, doing transcriptions, uh, listening to orchestral saxophone, um, wow, and very, just very learning complete. the history of the instrument. Uh, really, just you know, broadening. You know, I was probably thirteen or so when I started with him. It took me a bit, even with this teacher. It was my first. <laughs> I still remember the the moment that sort of the the switch came on for me. I was at a solo and ensemble contest. It was my first time going as a, as a little sophomore. Mm-hmm. I was playing this little Handel Sonata flute transcription. I went and uh, it went fine. You know, it was my first time preparing for anything like that. And I think I did, you know, average. But he took me under his arm afterwards and he was like, now come hear my other students play. So we went over and I saw some of his juniors and seniors play. And I heard the Glazunov Concerto. Wow. Uh, which is, you know, the the big staple piece that we have in our repertoire, big romantic concerto. And it was, you know, it was with a little synthesizer piano at a community college in the back room. <laughs> but to me, I'd never heard anything like it. I'd never heard anything so elegant, so virtuosic, so uh, wide ranging in dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just this this vibrancy to the sound and to the narrative of the piece that just struck me and I left there a changed person. So I went home that day, I was 15, and I decided I wanted to be a saxophonist. I started practicing, you know, I hadn't been practicing at all. And I started practicing four or five hours a day, sometimes more, my parents would have to yell at me to go to bed. Um, I started getting online and and reading all the forums about, you know, saxophone and classical saxophone, learning Uh all the names of the players, all the repertoire. And uh, by the time I was done with high school, I'd actually gone through most repertoires that people go through in their undergrad. So I'd played most of the pieces before I'd even got to college. And so what comes after high school? You go to college. Where did you go to college? Well, first I went to Interlochen, actually. Oh, yeah. So one of the peers that I had from from my my teacher's studio had gone the year before, and I'd heard about it. So I went to Interlochen. I stayed with Tim McAllister. So I went there, and I'd been, of course, listening to lots of recordings and learning about the history of the instrument. And, you know, I just really didn't—I wasn't happy with my sound. You know, I had just kind of a, a bright, edgy sound in the, in the upper register. I was looking for something different. Um, and so I was tending towards some, some, some different recordings— and one of the, the recordings that I really liked was by Lawrence Guads, who taught at the University of Southern Mississippi. And he studied with Sigurd Rascher, which the Henry, Henry Brandt's concerto was written for, and mm-hmm. the Glazunov, and the Ebert, and the Martin, and wow. all these oh, other wow. big pieces were written for Sigurd Rascher. So I found out about Guads. I'd gotten his recording of the Glazunov, and I went down and auditioned for him. I did an honor band down in Mississippi, and I ended up going to, going to school down there. Wow. And that was a fabulous, fabulous experience. I did my undergrad in three years. I was really jonesing to get on to the next thing. And each year, I um, I did the concerto competition, and I got to do a different piece. So I was immensely grateful. Each year, you won the concerto competition? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Wonderful. And so after college, what happens? Um, well, after undergrad, I was kind of in a, in a, in a bit of a quandary. I'd studied with a, a student of Sigurd Rascher. And uh, so that's kind of historic approach. You know, they play vintage instruments because they were sort of the last instruments that were made in the acoustical specifications of Adolf Sachs. And as I was mentioning about my sound, you know, mm-hmm. I really wanted this mm-hmm. like rich, velvety orchestral sound. And a lot of modern instruments weren't able to get that. I wasn't able to get that on them. And so after my undergrad, I was I was really interested to see the other side. 
Um, so in my last year, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And the last minute, I was offered an opportunity to come audition for a TA. But it was, you know, sort of, <laughs> if you come, you'll get it. Teaching and, assistant uh, yeah, position? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Um, at uh, Illinois State. Okay. And uh, it would just be a free master's, come hang out for two years, get some teaching experience. And then after I finished up there, that was kind of a, an American, French-style playing place, teacher, studio experience anyway. I decided that I really was you know, interested in this, in, in being in touch with this sort of traditional approach. And so I went and studied with uh, Karina Rascher in Germany. Aha, uh-huh. the daughter of the saxophonist. Of Sigurd Rascher. I, I had met her playing at a festival in Scotland and made that connection and spoken to her quite a bit. And she asked me to come over and uh, I worked with her for a whole summer. I just wow. stayed in this little town just over the border from Switzerland in the south part of Germany. And it was very, very rigorous. So for about three months, my routine would be every other day I would see her and then I would have a day off and day see her and day off. So on the days that I would see her, I'd, I'd get up and um, go over probably around noon or so. Uh, we'd have lunch, and then there would be sort of this kind of siesta period in the building where you can't really make any noise. So we would usually quietly listen to recordings and have a conversation until about three. And then at three o'clock until six o'clock, I would have my lesson, have a three-hour lesson. Um, And then we would have dinner, and then I would go home and practice the whole next day and then come back and do that again. Um, For three months. For three months. That's amazing. So you're back in the U.S., and where do you go and what happens? So I go to uh, Florida State University to study with Patrick Meehan, who's another Sigurd Rasher student. And uh, Florida State, it's a wonderful institution. And if you wanted to sort of study in this this way, that was where you went. Um, and Meehan taught there for 42 years and retired right when I left. <laughs> so I was, I was you my, my class was the last to uh, finish with him. And he told me that when I met him. He's like, if you come, I'll finish you and then I'm retired. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so I, I got in right at the last minute. Wow. Fantastic. And what did you do at Florida State? What, well, what kind of involvement projects, quartet, repertoire? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, Sort of between that transitional between when I was studying with Karina that summer, a lot of things happened. Going out of my master's, getting into my doctorate, um, I was asked to join the Mana Quartet, that's very well established saxophone quartet in the U.S. They started in 2007, and they were the first saxophone quartet to win the Coleman competition. Mm-hmm. So I joined them and uh, started running around the country with my saxophone and other saxophone players and. Got a lot of experience as, as a professional, you know, yeah. booking concerts, making connections, working with composers, writing grants, that whole beat. Right, right, right. Um, so I, I was doing that, you know, as soon as I hit the ground in Florida. So I, I would uh, very much to this dismay of my professors leave town for extended amounts of time and have to do homework on the road. And <laughs> you know, um, yes, you can be a professional classical saxophonist. And it's incredibly niche and incredibly weird, and no one's going to know what it is. But yes, you can do it. Um, and you're doing it. You're doing a terrific job. Thank you. So I also founded another quartet, uh, co-founded with my, my colleagues at FSU, called Singularity. So I, I am in, in both groups, and it's it's really quite a, an interesting juggle. I play baritone in mana, and I play soprano in Singularity, and then I play all the other horns in, <laughs> in, uh, in my other projects. We were very impressed with your performance of the Henry Brandt Concerto. Everybody has been talking about it this day. And so tell us about this piece and in particular, why in particular did you choose to perform it with the Brooklyn Symphony? I thought it was a good fit. 
Um, I, I, you know, I'd played in the orchestra last year. I'd done Bolero um, and the Walton facade, a couple other things. And it also just hadn't been done, really, you know, I, uh, with orchestra. There's, there's another arrangement with winds that had been done a couple times. But this, this is the first time I'd really had the chance to play it with orchestra. With orchestra. I, just, I just thought it would work really well. I understand that there were um, family members from Brandt in our audience. Yes, yes. Tell us about it. So um, a good friend of mine who is the studio pianist at the University of Michigan, and she's Tim McAllister's pianist. Her name's Liz Ames. And she's a very good friend of mine. Uh, we played together quite a lot back then. And she wanted to make this reduction of Henry Brandt's concerto because there wasn't one, you know. So the piece hadn't really been played, hadn't, you know, had, you know, been sort of lost. And um, there had been a dissertation written about the piece, but no piano reduction. Mm. And, you know, if it doesn't have a piano reduction, nobody's going to play it's it. It's not playable. <laughs> so she made a reduction, uh, got it published by Carl Fisher, and we premiered it together. Wow. That was one of our early projects. So I had a contact from her, uh, a man named Neely Bruce, who is, uh, I, I guess we'll call him a Henry Brandt scholar, and uh, invited him to the concert. We were talking about the score. And I had various questions. And then he said, oh, you know what? I should invite Kathy Wilkowski, who is Henry Brandt's widow. And so he put oh. us in touch, and she came. She came out. Yeah, she came all she the way from there. Santa Barbara. Wow. And uh, another family member that I completely was not expecting was Linus Brandt, uh, Henry Brandt's son, who lives on the Upper West Side. Look at that. Mm. Wow. That's quite something. So we live on that note. Thank you so very much for, for sharing your, your talent with the orchestra and your knowledge and passion for the saxophone here in the studio. Thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you so much, Felipe. We are here in the studio with Jeremy Kempton, principal bass trombone of the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's, it's nice to have you, nice to have a, a low brass person in the studio. And so let's jump right in. Tell us, where are you from? Well, I was born in Detroit, but I grew up in Traverse City, Michigan, which is oh. in the northwestern corner of the Lower Peninsula. And it's about 15 miles from the Interlochen National Music Camp. So I spent seven summers there. At Interlochen, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, both as a camper in high school division and uh, on stage crew during my college years. Then I gather that the trombone was your first instrument, your first encounter yes. with music? Mm -hmm. At what age? That would have been about the fourth grade, so that's about nine, ten years old. Uh huh. My father was a small-town lawyer. He had an acquaintance that he had done some legal work with, and the man owed him a great deal of money. Uh huh. And one night, the man uh, committed suicide, and he, the only thing he could leave my father were three very wretched instruments. One of them was a trombone. Ah. It was a, a Sears and Roebuck Silvertone. The slide was so rusty that when you, when you moved it, little pieces of rust would land on the floor. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so that's wow. A rather unusual reason. How did that bass trombone come about? Well, I was playing first trombone for many years. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how many. Uh, 
I know it's almost 20 years with the Brooklyn Symphony. Wow. And uh, I, I only became a bass trombone player recently because I had an accident and I still have not recovered my high register. Uh-huh. So it's still a work in progress, but I'm finally getting pretty good at it. Right. I mean, you've you've always done for what I for what I remember a fantastic job with a bass trombone. So I guess it was uncanny conditions that first brought yeah. you the the <laughs> trombone and then the bass trombone. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's go back to your childhood and your teenage years in music. So you get the trombone, and then what happens? Well, of course, I studied in school, and uh, as I reached high school, I played in the local symphony orchestra, which was amateur, of course. My mother was one of the charter members, and we had several people from Interlochen, and usually the conductor would be one of the Interlochen conductors. Uh-huh. Then was able to get a scholarship to Interlochen, uh-huh. and later I worked on staff there. George Wilson was uh, my favorite conductor from there. He was... Uh-huh. A very wonderful person. I got to know the family, too. What came came after that? Okay, well, I went to the Eastman School of Music, and I was very uh, very honored and to, to study with Emory Remington. Emory Remington, mm-hmm. I think it was more his humanity than his trombone teaching, but we all loved him very much. In fact, we had a, a reunion of people from my era Wow. Uh, that were Remington students just two years ago. Remington passed away in 73, which just uh, was not that long after I was there. He was in his 70s when I studied with him. And then I got a fellowship to the University of Illinois, and that was a real blast. It's a wonderful music school. We had the best jazz band in the country. Very prestigious, yeah. And we uh, won the Collegiate Jazz Festival both the years that I was in it caused a riot the first year that lasted 40 minutes because we did <laughs> such outrageous music. Everybody was very conservative, uh, either Basie or Stan Kenton style, and we uh-huh. came in with with avant-garde and with uh, uh, Cab Calloway and everything wow. in between. Totally different. And so that's fascinating. So do you play jazz to this day? I never became much of an improviser, but I I love to play in a big band. Uh-huh. I like to consider myself a good side man. Right. I right. haven't been doing a lot of that. I, I would say that I have been more active with uh, musicals. I was music director for over 50 productions. Wow. Fiddler on the Roof, Oklahoma. The first five shows I did were in Tehran, Iran. I was in the Peace Corps right after I finished at the University of Illinois, and my job was to play trombone in the Tehran Opera and Symphony Orchestra. Sounds incredible. Very impressive. And the uh, we did so much opera mm-hmm. that uh, it was very good. And you, you wouldn't expect, we had visiting singers from Europe, but we also had a quite good company international people and Iranian singers, too. Yeah. And how big was the orchestra? Full symphony? We had everything. I couldn't tell you the exact number, but it was a big orchestra. Big size It was orchestra. the size of the orchestra you'd see at the Met. And it was a regular repertory company. We did all the Puccini's and the Mozart's and the yeah. Verdi's. And the, uh, all the repertoire, big repertoire. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so you come back to the U.S., and then where do you relocate? 
Well, my first job, when I came back, it was mid-August, and I went out to Interlochen, and there was someone from the University of Michigan there I knew, and I told him I needed a job, so he called. <laughs> Even though I hadn't gone to the University of Michigan at that point, I did later. He called their placement department and uh, at Michigan, and they found three jobs, one outside of Detroit, one in western New York, and one in Rhode Island. And in two days, I did interviews at all three. Uh-huh. And I chose the one uh, in western New York, was a little place called Holland. Uh-huh. And then uh, the next year, I came down to the island. I wanted to be closer to New York City. And what job was that? High school band director, high school and junior high. That was before there were middle schools. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and then, of course, I started doing the musicals. We yeah. did uh, one or two uh, each year with the school group, and then there was a community group, the Glenn Players. Yeah. And then I was also, for about 15 years, well, probably more like 10 years, the director of the Port Singers in Port Washington, and they were a, a choral group in the fall, and uh, they did a show in the spring. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's how all I wound up doing all those musicals. <laughs> that's fascinating, really. It's really a fascinating story. The more we talk, the more interesting facts come up. So, and so after University of Illinois, did you pursue any further studies? Yes. I went to uh, Iran for two years. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so you come back. And then when I came back, I started teaching. And then I uh, went to the University of Michigan in the summer, three summers, for, for this uh, course called the Band Conductor's Art. Nice. Which was, we had a, a different hotshot band director every day. We'd have Frederick Fennell. And wow. He was a guest for a day. H. Robert Reynolds was the band director at Michigan that time. And then because I was doing so much vocal work with the uh, Port Singers yeah. and with the shows, too, I went to uh, Westminster Choir College, which is not all that well known, but it is just a wonderful place. And so you continued uh, in music. Obviously, you have a, a very broad well, preparation as a singer, as a trombonist, as a conductor, band director. One thing that I really want to mention that I, I'm very proud of is I started an orchestra called the Island Chamber Symphony. Uh-huh. And uh, we specialized in works for small orchestras, so that put us into the classical period, but we did all periods. And I'm, I discontinued the orchestra just this last year. After 40 years, uh-huh. it just uh, seemed like I'd done everything I wanted to do with it. But the, the most important part about it was that we featured young soloists. Yeah. And in the New York area, is just unbelievable. And, I, you know, people say, where do you get these the kids, you know? Talent. And I right. would say, I, I just asked the kid that did the last concert, you know, you've got a friend? That's <laughs> <laughs> about all I had to do. At any rate, I felt like it was such a great service to them because most of them, despite their incredible accomplishment, it's the first time they got to play with a full orchestra wow. accompaniment. Wow. So you've devoted your entire life to music. That's really inspirational. I suppose you could say that. 
you mentioned earlier that you have been part of the Brooklyn Symphony for 20 years or more? About, yeah. The Brooklyn Symphony, you have such a cross-section of people, right. many people who are not primarily musicians. Artists, a lot of artists in the, in the group, and a big cross-section age-wise, too, which is, is really nice. And it's a very friendly orchestra. You know, when you play with community orchestras, most of them do very good literature, but after you do it a few years, it's the same things over and over again. Right. Exactly. And uh, one of the great things about the Brooklyn Symphony is we keep— The repertoire, We exactly. do that, but we also do things that are, are unique and different. And so can you share a fun anecdote or something that happened with the BSO? Well, as time went on, there were a few rehearsals where Nick was indisposed for one reason or another. Uh -huh. And he asked me to conduct, but always without preparation. Oh, I well, of course, scores. he wasn't where you are also a conductor. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, one time he came, I was going in from the street into a uh, the St. Anne's where we were giving concerts at that time. He says, Jeremy, I'm sicker than a dog. Uh, take these scores. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and we had uh, the Rachmaninoff symphonic dance is a wickedly difficult piece. Wow. Well, uh, with so, the Rachmaninoff itself, I, yeah. I can see. <laughs> so, so with seven felt? minutes preparation, <laughs> wow. I went in and... Uh, and that ha happened, uh, oh, five or six times that I actually got to conduct a rehearsal. It was fun. I mean, I didn't have to do a lot of work on it. <laughs> I just pull out the stick. I always have a, a baton in my case. Oh, you do? Most often, yeah. I loan it to a conductor who has either broken or forgotten his. <laughs> but occasionally, I actually Good get to, to use it myself. I'll take that in consideration. And so tell us about just one more question about Brooklyn Symphony in particular. How have you seen it evolve throughout the years, the orchestra? What has changed? I'd say one of the most remarkable things is that although there seems to be a constant change in the people, that it, I would say we, we have maintained a good a very good level of performance on through. It's, it's the constancy that is impressive right? rather the, than the up and downs. And we have had uh, some concerts less spectacular than others, uh, but mostly the playing is very good. And the, of course, the pieces are very often very difficult. Thank you so very much, Jeremy. It has been a pleasure to, to listen to you talk and share your story. I love asking this question. <laughs> If you were to choose a different instrument, what would it be? Well, I love cello. Yeah. But it would probably be string bass. But I like having my own part. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, uh, as you look at the string sections, uh, there's always a bunch of people. And I, I just like that, that identity. That solo quality. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for sharing your fascinating story. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and learn about your beginnings in music and your fascinating career. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Please visit brooklynsymphonyorchestra.org for more episodes of the podcast and to purchase tickets to our next concert on June 16th at the Brooklyn Museum. 
Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Audio support by Joey Glick and Plush NYC. I'm Felipe Tristan. Thank you for listening. <laughs>